Welcome to the Asymptote Podcast. My name's Steve Lehman, and we've returned after a short hiatus to bring you more interviews and readings from the latest issue of our online journal. The summer 2021 issue of Asymptote features work from 35 countries in 24 different languages, including poems from my guest today, the Icelandic writer Kauri Tulinius. Four of Kauri's poems appear in this issue, excerpted from his poetry collection Glacier Line and translated from the Icelandic by Larissa Kaiser. I've never been to Iceland, but Kauri's poems transported me to his homeland through their sharp imagery and powerful sense of place. You can read all of them and many more great works in translation at asymptotejournal.com. Kauri is the author of two novels whose titles in English are Martyrs Without Talent and Of the Mind of a Mother. He wrote a previous poetry collection called Particle Fragment and co-wrote a chapbook with Vala Thorolds called Heavy Presidents. He also co-founded the poetry chapbook Melfgongliof. I've been practicing my Icelandic words for this episode, um, but sorry to any Icelandic speakers out there for my fumbling pronunciation. As always, stay until the end to hear a reading of one of the poems we talked about during our conversation. This time, Kauri himself will read his poem Upon Seeing Snæfellsjökull Glacier from an Idling Bus in both the original Icelandic and in English translation. A quick note, as we work and record from home during the pandemic, you'll hear some background noises about halfway through the interview. That's just Cowdy's two-year-old daughter who was very excited about receiving a Donald Duck comic in the mail. I'd be excited too, if I were her. Anyway, here's my conversation with Cowdy Tulinius. Hi Cowdy, uh, thanks so much for coming. Uh, thanks for having me, Steve. You have some fantastic poems published in Asymptote's summer 2021 issue, uh, translated from the Icelandic by Larissa Kaiser. When did you start writing poetry? Well, I mean, my first poem that I wrote, or I didn't really write it, I, I sort of composed it. There's a, somewhere in my parents' basement, there's a cassette of me uh, uh, reciting a poem that I had written or composed when I was five, and this was when I was uh, uh, when I was a, ch- a child. I lived in France, so this is in French. So that's my first poem, and I and I call it a poem on the cassette, which I haven't heard in in probably twenty years. Um, after that, I wrote some poems sometimes when I was a kid, not like compulsively, just sometimes the the a reason presented itself for me to to write poetry whether it was for like a a school something or or like a family event or something and uh, but then when I was 17 I started writing I wouldn't say seriously but I would start writing kind of fairly regularly and um it wasn't something I was particularly thinking about then as a thing to do as a career or, or even it wasn't even I wasn't even like calling myself a poet, but I was writing poetry partly just because it made sort of sense to me as a way of dealing with the world. For me, writing poetry is um, I, I feel a little bit like I'm sort of taking part in 
being a human being, I guess, is, is how I would sort of phrase it a little clumsily, is that like when I'm when I'm writing, I feel kind of as if I am doing something that has been something that human beings have been doing for as long as we have written records. And, and from our earliest written records, it seems that even then it had been something that humans had been doing forever. So so very early on, it, it just kind of felt almost, I, would, I don't want to say religious practice, but almost a kind of a thing that would, uh, that made me, feel kind of a little bit sort of connected to to humanity and then uh, I, would, I would sort of kept doing that mostly in just in in notebooks and and things um you know sort of through the rest of my teens and then when i was sort of just as i was about to turn 20 i had this idea of of asking um a youth arts center in in Reykjavik where I could write a poem every day in on, on their premises and it, it actually ended up being on a, in a window on the on the ground floor would I where if I could write a poem every day and sort of put it on a, on a typewriter and then put it in a in a window and that was kind of my my way of feeling like a little bit like I was becoming a poet, I guess. It just made me feel much more um, uh, like that my poetry was for an audience or, or or not even an audience, but for other people. Because before that, when I was writing poetry, I wasn't really writing for for anyone. I was just writing it because it seemed like, um, it seemed to sort of suit me kind of as a way to, to sort of organize myself in a way. I've read that uh, the Icelandic literary community uh, is pretty tight-knit and people know each other on a first-name basis. How has that community influenced your your work and your writing? Oh, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, the Icelandic community is, is as you said, tight-knit and also uh, fairly constrained just by geography even when we like myself am outside the island currently we are in on in the island of the language of Icelandic which is spoken by about I don't know a little bit probably a little bit less than 400,000 people worldwide so we have on some level this sort of constraint of a limited um a number of people but on the other hand we have a sort of a place to to stand that is kind of a little bit set aside from the the larger continent of of literature and we have this this sort of horizon um, set out in front of us and i think what we have as a community which which brings us together is a kind of a shared, I wouldn't say perspective isn't quite right, but a shared point at which to stand as as writers. And that allows us a certain kind of 
fellow feeling that we probably wouldn't, that is probably not um, available to writers who are writing within much larger writing communities. When, because when you are in the center, like when you're in the, the center of a galaxy, there are there's so like there's so many bright stars around. There's so much brightness that you don't um, you can't really see the whole. But when we are like as, as the planet Earth is kind of on the edge of the galaxy, uh, then we can we can look up and see the Milky Way, and that's sort of a little bit like what is like being a writer in Iceland. It's sort of um, being on always on the periphery. But the periphery allows us a perspective that is that is some slightly different uh, from other uh, writing communities. I'm glad you mentioned geography earlier, um, because I actually wanted to ask you about that um, in relation to the poems that you have in this issue of Asymptote. Um, the poems published in this issue are from your collection Glacier Line, uh, which came out in Icelandic in 2018, and they're filled with very specific environmental imagery, um, like avalanches, fjords, glaciers, mountains, snow, uh, to name a few. I'm curious to hear what kind of role the environment plays in your life, um, especially coming from a landscape as unique as Iceland's. Well, I think uh, at least my poetry comes out of my everyday life. It's, you know, what I perceive sort of you know, comes into my brain, and it's a little bit like uh, it's a little bit like leaves that are falling uh, from uh, from trees in a forest, and they sort of all collect at the sort of the bottom of of the forest, and then the um, you know the the various bacteria and and mushrooms and so on sort of break down the those those leaves of of perception, and then my my poems are the mushrooms that grow and or the, the the sort of the ideas for the poems are the mushrooms that grow and then then i you know i have to i have to cook them into something hopefully uh palatable uh and um uh, so you know when i'm living in iceland and i'm surrounded by icelandic nature then of course it come it comes into my poetry and then of course the um uh the same goes for um you know my memories of of being in iceland and and growing up in iceland uh and living in iceland sort of all all go into that that sort of uh, that that sort of forest floor in my in my uh in my mind and it, sometimes it you know the because i've spent you know probably about a third of my life uh, living outside of Iceland, you know the interplay of 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 memory and and different kinds of environments can can uh, play together. Like I remember one poem, and uh, that uh, is in uh, I think yes, the poem uh, "Snow Sound," uh, the poem uh, one of the three uh, four mm -hmm. poems in uh, that were just published and translated by Larissa Kaiser was uh something that came to me while i was in in uh, finland um where i was uh, outside and there came this sudden snowstorm in may and this 
and it just the you know the watching the the snow fall down and then just immediately melt sort of brought back all of these memories of being in Iceland and then I sort of connected this particular memory to this thing that I'd, I'd experienced in the moment um so my, the the fact that that Icelandic nature is is kind of features in my poetry quite often is is an accident of birth I guess an accident of of upbringing and 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 uh and life and but then it's my um particular I don't know if duty is the right word but my particular um I don't know calling seems a little bit too too high-minded but <laughs> sort of my my uh uh <laughs> my doom to be <laughs> to be writing poetry about uh about Icelandic nature because just I've I've experienced it so so uh thoroughly in my life you've mentioned that you're living in Finland now and and you lived in the US in the past when you go back to Iceland what are some of your favorite places that you return to what hui that's a that's a that's a difficult question i think well my i i grew up in reykjavik so there are lots of places in reykjavik and on the sort of periphery of reykjavik which are have deep meaningful connections to my life just because i've been there a lot and a lot has happened there so in some ways like it's a difficult for me to to say that those are are my favorite places though they're they're incredibly sort of meaningful for me because I have no have no distance to them. But so my my favorite places are are the places where I I would say like when I traveled around Iceland with my parents or my grandparents, which I I did a lot as a as a kid, are the places that I would go to uh you know every few years I would stop there. And then, so then there are these places that I've, I've, I have a kind of a long history with, but I don't really have, I'm not really entangled sort of into. And in some ways, Snæfellsjökull, which, which I wrote this this poem about, is kind of a place like that, where um, it's a it's this mountain that I can see, you know, from Reykjavik. So it's kind of on the horizon. Uh, I haven't been there very often, um, you know, I haven't climbed it or anything like that. So those kind of places actually I find myself writing about them fairly often. But then when I'm sort of writing poems about myself, I will set them often in these other places. And then one one thing that was somewhat sort of which uh, unexpected for me when I was writing the the Snæfellsjökull the 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 vanishings of Snæfellsjökull poem was that the my life became kind of entangled with this place which i only really meant to describe as a place and then sort of because that ended up the process ended up taking such a long time that my, my life became kind of entangled with it uh, even though i would have before described snæfellsjökull as one of my favorite uh, landscape features in iceland there it's now it's 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 somehow uh, a little bit too too personal to me which is a weird thing to say about a about a you know uh, an extinct volcano <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. Uh, you so you have two poems about Snyfisyokul Glacier um, in this issue, and there's a really interesting note that introduces the poem "Vanishings of Snyfisyokul Glacier," uh, the poem you mentioned earlier. Um, I'm actually going to read the whole note here for context for for listeners. Um, Snyfisyokul is a glacier that can be seen from Reykjavik across a stretch of ocean. More often than not, it is not visible from the city. Kaori used to carry a notebook in which he wrote down poetic descriptions of the glacier whenever he could see it. Over a period of 500 days, he saw it about 40 times. This poem was composed from those descriptions. Um, I love this poem, and I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about the process of writing it and how it felt to observe this one uh, massive landmark from a distance for, for so long, for 500 days. Well, I mean, on, on some level, I've been observing it almost my whole life. Uh, the, uh, the 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 when I was um, uh, from where I was uh, sort of grew up, like when I was to sort of walk around, there were many places where you where you could see the glacier when it was visible, and then also in my my parents had a painting with uh, of 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 that um, uh, of the mountain that was in my, uh, in the living room where I grew up. So that, that's kind of what, what I've been, um, uh, sort of, so I've been thinking about it for a very long time. And I'd been, I had been, I had this sort of idea in the back of my head for a few years, uh, before I started about doing something of like writing down these kind of poetic descriptions of it. And then, um, I'd organized, uh, an event for a Canadian playwright called, Rita Bozy, and as a when she was in Iceland, and as a thank you gift, she gave me this very lovely little notebook, which had I think I forget thirty six pages or forty pages or something like that in it, and it just fit into my into the uh, inside pocket of my of my coat like just perfectly. So I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to use this particular. Uh, this particular uh, notebook to just write down my uh, sort of these descriptions. You know, ev- you know, every day that I would see it, I would write down this description, and I expected it to take about about like I don't know, like two or three months to sort of fill it. But then um, that summer turned out to be the the rainiest summer, and and I think since since uh, records began in in Reykjavik, so it was very rarely visible, and. Um, it took me 500 days to get 40 glimpses of the glacier, and so I had this. I had this this notebook, and it was it was, and it happened to span a very important part in my life, which is where I was. Uh, I was in in one relationship that kind of ended suddenly, and then uh, I met. And sort of during the middle of all that time, I met. Uh, the woman who is who's now my wife. So these, and without really thinking about it while I was writing them, these kind of, the, my my life started to color my perceptions of the glacier. And I, I've made a, a sort of several versions of this poem. This was the one I'm, I'm this one is kind of the most polished of those uh, versions, the one that Larissa uh, Kaiser translated. And and so it became a kind of a, a record of this 
great change in my life. At the same time as I was describing how the the glacier changed over the course of uh, of, uh, of the seasons, and sort of on top of that, there's the the um, the knowledge or the the fear that that the glacier will vanish at some point in the in the foreseeable future. I think the the that what they expect now is that the glacier will will become what is what is known as dead ice in about half a century or something like that. The glacier line, which from the collection takes its uh, name from, and it was actually the name I, I gave to the the the, the notebook originally, um, was is the um, line at which the uh, the precipitation that falls on the glacier uh, collects uh, faster than it melts away. And so the, um, so, you know, like, you know, so the, basically the higher, the, the higher the glacier line is, the, the smaller the, the sort of the, the kind of living part of the glacier is, so to speak. And, uh, so that was kind of the, the kind of underlying metaphor. But then, and then I sort of ended up as the glacier, the, the poems sort of accidentally ended up, uh, recording this kind of very important, uh, time in my life, which which is then becomes part of the poem. How do you see your role um, and that of poets more generally in documenting the disappearance of these glaciers? Do you feel an obligation to record what you're seeing? I, I don't know if, if obligation is the right word, because on some level... It's all just a, um, a sort of a coincidence what you're exposed to as a as an artist, and and um, so so a poem is an object created out of language, like a, a sculpture is created out of marble or clay or or whatever other material, and like of you know a sculpture can be uh, inspired by by what they they see. Or, or perceive in some way, or this sort of inspiration can somehow come from inside the artist. I think it's the same with with being a poet. And for me, growing up in Iceland, where the effects of of global warming are very visible, uh, in 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 both in in how say glaciers are melting, but also in terms of just how much greener Iceland is now than when I was a child. Hmm. Uh, the 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 tree line of or the the sort of the line of um, of vegetation goes much higher up mountainsides now than when I was than than I, when I was a kid and and sometimes it can be quite a shock when when going to places which where I haven't been in in a long time just to see how much has changed you know I, this is this is something that that just strikes my eye very forcefully as an icelander so that's so that that that's kind of how i end up documenting the landscape in in poetry but it's it's not like it's hard for me to think of it as an obligation because it's like it's an it's an it's an accidental obligation, which doesn't feel like really an obligation. It's just 
the it's part of of where where I'm from and where I've lived uh, and and lives that these um, images and these thoughts kind of come to me almost unbidden. In her translator's note, uh, Larissa Kaiser describes translating your work as, quote, a very active, collaborative editing process, unquote. Um, I've also heard other translators talk about how it's common for authors not to collaborate with their translators very much. Why do you prefer a more collaborative approach? Uh, I think, honestly, it's because I, I enjoy it. I enjoy thinking about language and how to render a thought in one language into another language. It's a, it's a fun thing for me to think about. As I mentioned earlier, I, I grew up as a kid in France, so I grew up bilingual. And so it's always been something that I've been aware of as, as long as I can remember. And so the, the sort of process, the, the process of translation is especially poetry, uh, is just so much fun to me. It's like, um, like, and it's funny because I, I don't, I don't tend to like doing puzzles. I don't like crossword puzzles or something like that. Um, but I just, I think that that kind of joy, uh, that people get out of crossword puzzles for, I get that kind of joy out of translating poetry and, and thinking about how to translate poetry and translation in general. So that's, I think that's the, the main reason why I, I uh, enjoy the the collaborative process, and the and honestly, the <laughs> the other main reason is that I find translators just very good company. So any <laughs> any excuse I have to uh, to talk with uh, translators uh, and just you know kind of hang out with them, so to speak, is an opportunity I I, I, I seize with both hands. And and in the 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 specific case of Larissa is that I'm, I'm I just feel just incredibly lucky as an author that to have met a translator who is one very interested in my in my work and two just is very kind of sympathetic to my concerns as a writer so I feel also just in collaborating with with Larissa specifically I feel like I learn a lot about um my own uh, way of writing, which I find very sort of valuable, and, and collaboration, yeah, it's 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 great. <laughs> A plus plus would collaborate again. <laughs> great. Well, uh, thank you so much for the poems, and thank you so much for the conversation. This was awesome. Yes, thank you, uh, thank you very much for your your questions, and uh, I'm uh, very happy to join the community of of uh, wonderful uh, writers uh, who have been published uh, by Asymptote. That was Kauri Tulinius discussing his work published in the summer 2021 issue of Asymptote. You can read all of Kauri's poems and many other great works in translation at asymptotejournal.com. And now, here's Kauri reading his poem Upon Seeing Snyfasyokul Glacier from an Idling Bus. Thanks for listening. Hort til Snæfellsjökuls úr kyrrstæðum strætó. Rakt pappírsrifrildi lóðir við himinin. 
Ég fletti snæfjölsjökli af rúðunni og punkta hjá mér það sem ég hefði átt að segja við þig. 1. Undir gljáspeilsleittu yfirborði er grjót sem er grjót. 2. Snjór bráðunar. Verð fell sem er fell. Snæfilsjökli verður fleikt í ruslatunnu, mun brotna niður innum bananahýði, pappamál gostósir nammi umbúðir, úrgang sem er úrgangur. 3. Ljóð skjálfesta landslag, tilfinningar rotna. Upon seeing Snæfeldsjökull Glacier from an idling bus. A damp scrap of paper sticks to the sky. I peel Snæfeldsjökull from the window pane and scribble down what I should have said to you. 1. Under a mirror-smooth surface, there is rock that is rock. 2. Snow melts becomes a mountain that is a mountain. Snæfellsjökull will be tossed in a garbage can, disintegrate among banana peels, paper cups, soda cans, candy wrappers, garbage that is garbage. 3. Poetry documents a landscape, feelings rot. The Asymptote Podcast is produced by me, Steve Lehman, with music by the Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks again to Kauri Tulinius for talking with me and for the wonderful reading. And thanks as always to Katya Olsashipyatsky for her thoughtful feedback. Until next time, this was the Asymptote Podcast.